Well, hello there again, everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 157, and today we are talking about some considerations with geriatric pharmacology and medication administration. So before we dive into this really interesting topic, I do want to take a moment for our listener shout out. And this one goes out to Rebecca. So Rebecca says, I wanted to thank you. Just passed my NCLEX in 75 questions. You were integral in that success. Rebecca, I mean, I'm sorry, Nurse Rebecca, congratulations. That is amazing. I cannot wait to hear about all the amazing things that you do. So please reach out, touch base, send us an email. Let us know where you land and how you're loving your new job. So I have a big news flash for you guys. Pharmacology is not one size fits all. Okay, if you have already listened to the episode on pediatric pharmacology, you definitely understand this concept. So now we're going to look at the other end of the spectrum to discuss how aging affects medication administration, pharmacological considerations in the elderly. And then at the end, We'll be doing some of those pod quiz questions that you love so much, and I have an exciting announcement about that as well. So recall that pharmacokinetics is essentially what the body does to a drug after it's administered. So the four pillars of pharmacokinetics are absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion. You may also hear elimination. So ADME, absorption, distribution, metabolism, excretion. Today, we'll be talking about the age-related changes that occur in each of these pillars. So the short version is that many times drug dosages will need to be lower in the elderly. So the name of the game is start low and go slow. And after we get through this episode, you'll understand why. So complexities of pharmacology and the elderly is often compounded, you guys, by the presence of multiple disease conditions leading to polypharmacy. And we're going to talk about that some more as well. So let's dive down into the details. Absorption. What is absorption? It is the process of the drug basically moving from the site where it was administered into the bloodstream so it can, you know, get to where it needs to go and do what it needs to do. So as I was researching this for you guys, I was really surprised to see there is a lot of conflicting information out there about how aging affects drug absorption. Some of the Material suggested that intramuscular route is really unreliable because the absorption can be so variable. And then other studies said not so much. So the general consensus is that, yes, there are some changes in absorption, but may not be the biggest factor for the elderly patient. But I do want to look at PO medications because there are some things that we need to talk about with that. The general differences in the GI tract of the elderly is changes to gastric emptying time, decreased small bowel surface area, 
and increases in gastric pH. But again, most cases, the absorption of drugs is not significantly different. That's what the studies are saying right now. But there are definitely differences in how long it takes for the drugs to have an effect. But let's talk a little bit about some prime examples of how the GI tract is different in the elderly and how it could be affected as far as pharmacokinetics go. So decreased gastric emptying can lead to altered absorption of some drugs such as levodopa and digoxin. So that would be two prime examples of drugs where decreased gastric emptying does affect the absorption. And then decreased active transport can lead to a decrease in the transport of vitamins and electrolytes. And then that decreased intestinal surface area that I mentioned a moment ago leads to a general decrease in drug absorption for some medications. Again, digoxin is another really great example of this. And then that increased gastric pH can affect medications that do rely on a specific pH level. So one example is calcium carbonate, which does need a more acidic environment for optimal absorption. So for this reason, elderly patients are sometimes prescribed calcium citrate instead because it dissolves more easily in higher gastric pH levels. Another very key thing about the pH is with enteric-coated tablets. So this enteric coating is utilized for the purpose of extended release. You remember that you never crush an enteric-coated tablet, right? The coating is designed to remain intact in that low pH environment of the stomach, in that very acidic environment of the stomach, and then begin to dissolve in the higher pH environment of the small intestines. So in the elderly, where gastric pH can be higher, these medications could have an early release, causing adverse GI effects or alterations in absorption. One other route that I think we should talk about very briefly is the transdermal route. Transdermally delivered medications are actually typically considered really beneficial for the elderly because of that steady rate of administration and ease of use. So some examples include fentanyl, nitroglycerin, estradiol, rivastigmine, I had to pause there for a minute and see if I could say that one, and scopolamine. So some of the advantages of transdermal administration are they circumvent hepatic first-pass metabolism, which we'll talk about in a moment. There are decreased adverse GI effects and higher likelihood of compliance and more consistent drug concentrations. Though the skin absolutely changes with age, studies have shown that these changes in lipid structure and hydration really only affect medications with strongly hydrophilic properties. So in general, if dose alterations are needed in the elderly, it's not 
typically due to alterations in absorption. It's typically due to age-related cardiovascular, renal, and hepatic changes, which will all make so much more sense as we get into the other pillars of pharmacokinetics. So the next pillar that we need to talk about is distribution. So distribution is that process of transferring a drug from the bloodstream to the tissues where it can exert its effect. So as we age, total body water decreases while body fat increases. The distribution of highly lipophilic drugs is therefore increased. So some great examples of this are risperidone, atorvastatin, ciprofloxacin, azithromycin, and propofol. So what does this mean for your patient? Lipophilic drugs may have an increased half-life when body fat is higher, leading to increased levels and prolonged effects of these types of medications. And then distribution is also affected by the presence or the absence of plasma proteins. As we age or even as we're malnourished, serum albumin decreases. And you guys know a lot of times aging and malnourishment can go hand in hand. So this decrease in serum albumin leads to changes in the bindings of some medications. So if your elderly patient also has malnutrition, then they are very high risk for alterations in the bindings of some medications. And this can lead to higher levels of unbound drugs like warfarin and phenytoin. And this in turn can lead to serious adverse effects and toxicity. And then metabolism is that third pillar. So in general, metabolism is the process that drugs go through that makes them either more or less active, though generally metabolism makes drugs less active because that's how they're designed. There are some that actually need to be metabolized to become active, but that's pretty rare. The process of metabolism converts the compound from its original state, which is that active state in general, and converts it into something else which is less active and then excreted from the body. So a key player in metabolism is the liver. Not only does the liver metabolize many, many medications, it is also responsible for something called the first pass effect. So when you take a medication by mouth, it is absorbed through the intestinal mucosa and then enters hepatic circulation and taken straight to the liver for metabolism, even before it gets to the heart for circulation. In some cases, the first pass effect can reduce a medication's efficacy by up to 90% when you compare it to IV administration. So this explains why IV doses are sometimes so, so much smaller than PO doses. So a fantastic example of this is midazolam. Looking at the pediatric dose for midazolam IV, it's 0.025 to 0.05 milligrams per kilogram. And we're, you know, if we're using it for something like procedural sedation versus 
PO 0.25 to 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. So if that child weighs 30 kilograms, that low-end dose for an IV midazolam would be 0.75 milligrams versus 7.5 milligrams PO. So you can see how PO doses can sometimes be so much larger, and that's because of first-pass metabolism. So in early patients, metabolic activity is reduced, and so is that first-pass effect. So for these reasons, decreased doses are often needed in your elderly patients. Some examples of medications that rely on hepatic metabolism and will require scrutiny are ibuprofen, diltiazem, warfarin, and levodopa. Remember, the name of the game, start low and go slow. And then that final pillar of pharmacokinetics is excretion. You may also hear it called elimination. And this part involves how the drug is essentially removed from the body. The key player here is the renal system. And aging definitely has a significant impact here. So after about age 40, which it does not seem that old to me, creatinine clearance starts to decline along with GFR and tubular function. The result is that many drugs have reduced elimination by the kidneys. So any medication that relies heavily on renal clearance will need to be scrutinized for proper dosing. So some great examples of these drugs are morphine, metformin, gentamicin, gabapentin, there's digoxin again, and diuretics like furosemide and spironolactone. Again, what's the name of the game? Start low and go slow. Okay, so we've talked about pharmacokinetics. Let's talk now a little bit about pharmacodynamics. The key takeaway here is that elderly individuals will be more sensitive to the central nervous system effects of medications, especially if they have underlying cognitive impairment. So take diphenhydramine, for example. Elderly patients are more sensitive to the CNS effects of diphenhydramine, which is an anticholinergic. So one of the main adverse effects the elderly can have with diphenhydramine is acute confusion, and it can be very, very pronounced. They are also likely to be more strongly experiencing the adverse effects such as dizziness, urinary retention, blurred vision, and tachycardia. So be very careful or even wary of giving diphenhydramine to your elderly patient, and you might want to talk with the MD about alternatives when they are available. So speaking of diphenhydramine brings us to the next thing we need to talk about, and that is the beers list. So you may hear something called a beers drug, and that's a pretty common term you'll hear when you're learning about elderly and the pharmacology. And no, it does not mean that the drug comes with an ice-cold bottle and a wedge of lime, okay? Beer's drugs are those that are marked as potentially inappropriate for use in older adults. 
the goal with the beers list, and that's B-E-E-R-S, the goal with the beers list is to increase medication safety with this special population that is absolutely prone to polypharmacy. Diphenhydramine and other anticholinergics are on this list due to that high risk for cognitive decline in the elderly. Other medications include ACE inhibitors because of the risk for hyperkalemia, warfarin due to the increased risk of bleeding, and benzodiazepines for the increased risk of falls. Now, it doesn't mean we don't use these medications in the elderly because I'm sure you've seen a lot of elderly patients on warfarin or an ACE inhibitor, but they have to be scrutinized very carefully. There are quite a few medications on the beers list, and I will include a link to some additions and updates in the episode notes. They're also in your Davis Drug Guide if you happen to use that reference. One of the highest pharmacologic risks for the elderly is polypharmacy, like I've mentioned before, and with that, heightened risk for adverse interactions and effects. So we have something called deprescribing, and the practice of deprescribing involves that practitioner evaluating the patient's medical condition and current pharmacologic regimen to remove as many medications as possible. The process of removing medications, it's not as cut and dried as just stopping them all together. The practitioner and the patient must work together in a lot of cases to taper or withdraw as appropriate with ongoing monitoring conducted as it is needed. So some studies show that deprescribing leads to A, fewer medications overall, which tends to improve medication adherence, B, improving or preserving cognitive function, C, reducing fall risk, and D, reducing risk for hospitalization and even death. So deprescribing is something you may hear about, and it is basically the opposite of prescribing. Okay, some special considerations with your geriatric patients. So things to think about. Adherence can be challenging in the elderly population for a variety of factors. So a 1998 study showed that adherence to pharmacologic regimens varies based on the drug dosage itself, the form that the drug comes in, its cost, physician-patient communication, and insurance coverage. Complicated regimens and cognitive decline also play a very key role here. And then we have to look at swallowing difficulty. Many elderly patients have difficulty swallowing, so may even avoid taking pills or avoid taking them in their original form. So let's say you have a patient who can't swallow pills, so they crush everything, and then they add it to, you know, you have to add it to applesauce or some pudding. Have you guys ever tasted a pill that's been crushed and you try to disguise it in pudding? It doesn't taste like pudding, okay? It's very, very bitter tasting. And 
could cause a decreased medication adherence. Patients may not also understand that they should not crush extended release or enteric coated tablets, leading to serious adverse effects and even toxicity. And then medications that require very close monitoring, such as warfarin, may be utilized inappropriately in patients who maybe don't have the resources for regular visits to the lab or visits to the doctor's office. So what can the nurse do to help improve medication adherence and safety amongst this patient population? So a 2017 systematic review showed some basic general guidelines that are nurse-led interventions, and these include lots of patient education, right? That's always a component. As you are teaching, make sure, A, that you're teaching the appropriate person. If the individual you're teaching has severe dementia, you're not teaching the appropriate person. Teach the caregiver, the family members, whoever it may be, and utilize the teach back method where you have them teach it back to you. That's a great way to really know, okay, they got it. Also, providing written, easy-to-follow instructions and written, easy-to-follow schedules. It's not enough just to have it on the pill bottle. Have it written out, large print, easy to see, put it right there next to the location where they keep their medications. Also, the utilization of medication management tools such as electronic pill dispensers is really great, or simply those pill organizers that separate it out by day of the week or a.m. and p.m. You can even have reminders via telephone or electronic devices. There are several apps created specifically for this purpose. And, of course, if you are a home health nurse, a visiting nurse, assessing all medications with each home visit, and then when the patient comes into the inpatient setting or the outpatient setting, like at a clinic or a doctor's office. So there you have it, you guys, your basic guide to pharmacology in the elderly patient. Now, if you're looking for just the very basic info, let's do a quick too long didn't read. I guess this would be a too long didn't listen. And that is physiologic changes associated with aging lead to alterations in absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion of medications, though absorption not as much a factor as the others. The name of the game is to start low and go slow. The beers list flags medications that may be inappropriate for the elderly, and the goal of deprescribing is to enhance medication safety and adherence in the elderly, and nurse-driven interventions can improve medication adherence and safety. Okay, you guys, who is up for a few pod quiz questions? If you've never done a pod quiz before, I ask a question, I pause for a little bit, give you time to answer, and then tell you the answer. Basically, we are doing flashcards with our ears. And if you enjoy this format, then stay to the end because I'm going to tell you how you can get way more pod quizzes in your life. Okay, so here we go. What are the four pillars of pharmacokinetics? Absorption, 
distribution, metabolism, and excretion. Very good. What is the process of transferring a drug from the bloodstream into the tissues? That's distribution. What is the process drugs go through to make the drug more or less active and ready for excretion? That is metabolism. What is the process of the drug moving from the site of administration into the bloodstream? That is absorption. Excellent work. What is the process of removing the drug from the body? That is excretion. You may also hear it called elimination. What is the key organ in medication, excretion, or elimination? That's the kidneys. What is the key organ in metabolism? The liver, great job. And what is one of the highest pharmacologic risks for the elderly? That is polypharmacy. And to combat that, we do deprescribing. Very, very good. Okay, so if you guys like doing pod quiz questions and you kind of got a feel for how beneficial that might be to review things that you've learned in class or from listening to this podcast, then you're going to love my new members only podcast called Straight A Nursing Study Sesh. So in this podcast, we do a lot of pod quizzes and not just four or five, an entire episode that dives into a topic and pod quizzes you on it. And then in addition to that, we have drills where we do recognize there are some things in nursing school that you need to memorize. For instance, if you memorize the blood flow pathway through the heart and you know that thing forwards and backwards, then you can apply that to the much broader concepts of heart failure and valve disorders. So in drills, we drill things into your head so that when you do need to memorize something, we get it in there where it belongs. And then we have case studies, which is basically making clinical decisions, evaluating scenario as we go through a patient situation. And then the power hour sessions are those deep dives into more extensive concepts. So there's one in there right now on blood pressure regulation, and it is just amazing. And it comes with a study guide. Some of the episodes do come with study guides. This study guide is awesome, you guys. So I want you to get your hands on all of that so you can learn more by going to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh forward slash study dash sesh and all the information is there. There's a bunch of FAQ at the bottom if you have a question. Setting it up is super easy. So go check that out, straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. Okay, next week, you guys, where are the nursing students that are heading into or in their 
OB or mom and baby or whatever they call it at your school clinical rotation because we're diving into newborn assessment, specifically the APGAR score. So I'll see you back here next week to talk about that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.